0: Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am so happy to be here today with the wonderful Mina Gergis. Welcome, Mina. Hi, Donna. Mina, you may know the name because you're currently the face of the Sephora campaigns, but before we get into how that happened, I want to start at the very beginning so we can get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us about where you were born, what your family was like? Tell us about where you're from.
1: So uh, my name is Mina, which is, um, for anyone that doesn't know, it is one of the most common names in Egypt. Um, so it's as common as, you know, Michael or David or You're the or Steve anything. of Cairo. Yeah, the Steve <laughs> of Cairo. I love that. <laughs> um, I, I was born in a little fisherman's town called uh, Borsaid. Um, the way we would say it in English is Port Said. It's a tiny, tiny fisherman's town, um, very conservative Um, we moved to Abu Dhabi when I was three years old and we moved between Abu Dhabi and, uh, Alexandria back and forth until I was 12, moved to Canada when I was, uh, yeah, when I was 12, London, Ontario was, London, Ontario became home. And, um, I think, uh, to be honest, I, I, when I think about my childhood and my upbringing, I never felt like I belonged anywhere, um. I felt like my culture didn't make sense to me. My identity never made sense to me. Um, so it's been this process of figuring out who Mina is.
0: Do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I do. I have two sisters. Uh, we're all Virgos, and I'm in the middle. I'm baby, right in the middle. The
0: middle Virgo. Yeah. And your mom and dad, like, was you? You mentioned you came from from Egypt, from the Middle East. Do they have a very traditional view of the world, per se?
1: Um. Yes and no. I think they've really wanted to be more progressive. However, I think that you can't really help um, having certain views uh, given where you grew up and the culture that you were in. So um, they they do their best, but you know, it's still not good enough. Sometimes we're, we're all
0: a product of of where we're from and yes. and and the environment we were in. When you think back to to Mina the little kid, I guess you were living in Abu Dhabi most of the time. Mm-hmm. What do you, what kind of child were you? What do, when you think about those days, what comes to mind?
1: Um, I went to an all boys boarding school, um, which kind of complicated all of that. Um, it's kind of ironic to <laughs> when I think about it now, but, um, like I said, I think the biggest thing was I never, I never fit in. Um, you know, there's really, really rigid ideas of masculinity that are embedded in Middle Eastern culture. It was, and when you go to an all-boys school, that is, it's almost part of the curriculum is to uh, indoctrinate masculinity and what it means to be a man into every little thing that you do, whether it's um, whether it's in the classes, whether it's uh, it's outside of class in any extracurriculars. It's like. In, you know they want you to be that like middle eastern arab man um and that's something that i never like it never made sense to me It never, um, resonated with it, never it never really resonated and i was always made fun of for being uh for being feminine um i was yeah i was made fun of a lot none of it ever made sense and the one memory that i always uh, remember it was i would uh i used to sneak into my mom's bedroom when when i was uh when she wasn't home and my dad was, my dad was never really home either. um, And I would sneak into her bedroom and I would look through her clothing and look through her shoes, look through her makeup. And the one thing I'll always remember, she had this like red lipstick that I would always put on. um, I would look in the mirror when I had this lipstick on and I made me feel like myself. And I don't know why, because my parents never, I don't remember if my parents ever caught me Um, but I do know that I felt like this had to be a secret. Um, Maybe it was through the environment around us. It was kind of unspoken that if anyone found out, you were going to get in an insane amount of trouble. Um,
0: Do you think that was maybe because you didn't see anyone else? Like I can only imagine that it's not like you had other people in your life or saw images like in Even like pop culture or whatnot Mm -hmm. of of men wearing a beautiful red lipstick. So just the lack of visibility of someone else doing what you were doing might have reinforced the idea of this is not something to share.
1: Totally. It um you know you I would only see women wearing makeup, and I knew that like you know I never saw my dad wearing that. So it was kind of this unspoken thing. You know, no one at school, none of the boys did it. So I was like, okay, I don't know why, but your 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 instincts kick in, and you're like your survival instincts kick in you're like okay this is this is my secret um and i think even the thing is the beautiful thing about this is that i think my sisters knew they saw me but they kept it a secret and that was like such a you know i think about that and i'm like they kind of it, you know they wanted me to have that safe space cuz i think they also knew that that i that i wasn't like all the other boys
0: what was it like when you moved to london and that um environment of what it meant to be a man in in the Middle East was not there. You were in, you were in, you know, you were in Canada, you were in London, Ontario, not thriving metropolis, (laughs) but not small town.
1: So the thing with London was that it was very also overwhelmingly white. And when we came to London and we came to Canada, a really big thing that my parents really wanted to stress for us was that we were not going to lose our culture. Uh, just because we're here, but they still wanted us to fit in, and they wanted us to assimilate. So they they really made sure that we went to all the like Arab events. They made sure that we were part of you know the community, the Egyptian community that was in London, Ontario, and so that reinforced completely new expectations of masculinity and fitting in because now you were like in this like microcosm, uh, this tiny little um, uh, community where a lot of these stereotypes about our culture were reinforced to keep the culture alive um, in Canada, if that makes sense. So um, it almost took everything up a notch because it was like, oh, this is what we did in Egypt. Therefore, we have to do it here and we have to make sure that it's like super ingrained and embedded in us so that we don't lose it.
0: And during that time, you're a teenager like those are such formative Mm. years. What was that like to have that expectation at home, but you're, it's a time when we're like trying to discover who we are and what our identity is. Was there, what, what were you feeling at the time?
1: So I knew that I was different, but because it's such a taboo in uh, Arab culture, I didn't know what was going on with me. Um, so I, I, I was like, what is, what is wrong with Nina? Like, why am I why, why do I feel like I'm, why am I attracted to men? It, this is, this is not normal. Um, and I was scared. I was really scared. And I only knew what being gay was because I, when I went into grade eight, so that was the first year that I was in, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of kids in school made fun of me and called me gay and made fun of me for being feminine. And that was my first time being called that. And I was like, what is gay? Like that was, that was the, that was how much of a taboo it is.
0: So there was no word from, that you knew from speaking Arabic or from being in the Middle East that like, that associated it with a, with something that was either positive or, or yeah. even neutral for that matter, Yeah, there guess, was, right? There
1: was absolutely no word to describe it, but I would remember, um, you know, when we would come to Canada and my mom would see, like if we were to see like, um, people hold like a, a same sex couple holding hands or she would see uh someone down uh walking down the street in in makeup or a guy wearing makeup or or um anything that was on the queer spectrum, if she were ever see that she would use a word that was like shizuz. That was that was the word for it, which um meant like, you know, it was this really negative word to describe queer people, which was a, a mixture of um not only that they're like that you have like a mental illness, that you um you're possessed um a lot of it's kind of like this like umbrella term for a lot of these a lot of these things, so growing up when I did see any kind of queer person, I got this negative um you know reaction from from my my parents, and that's how I knew without even ever kind of having that conversation with my parents that if they're judging and other openly queer people that I couldn't be that. Um,
0: I can't even imagine how heartbreaking. That must have been
1: yeah, I mean I the loneliness is something that defines I I would say up until I was uh seventeen I don't think I ever experienced what it meant to be happy or what it meant to look in the mirror and not be confused or not be lost or not hate uh, myself like I, I you know I like I tell you like I'm telling you like I found out what being gay was because I was bullied and then I googled it and I was like oh my God, that's me. And then I knew that because growing up, I'd never seen anyone like me in my culture, um, seeing the reaction that my parents had when they saw other other gay people and how disgusted they were and how repulsed they were by it and the words that they would use to describe it. I was like, oh my God, I am in a really um, sticky situation right now. I don't know, like, how did I get to this? And there was a lot of hatred. Like I hated myself. Uh, because I, I knew that this was going to like, that if my parents were going to get that reaction, if they were going to start reacting to me the way that they were reacting to other gay people, that it was just not going to be okay.
0: Did it change when you went to university in the, the liberal, you know, (laughs) environment of (laughs) post-secondary education? Did things improve at all? Um,
1: I went into university with a lot of, uh, internalized homophobia. Like I, I don't think I still, like I was doing my best to hide it, but like, I've always been very, uh, feminine, whether it was through like my voice or the things that I, that I like to do. Like I love acting and obviously now is, it's a very big, um, you know, my career is basically everything that I hated about myself or, but now that I, that I've learned to love, um, I went into university again with a lot of, uh, internalized homophobia and it was only when I started seeing other, um, older gays, um, through, uh, campus events and stuff like that, that I was like, there's nothing wrong with me there are you know, look at how happy they are. They have friends, people love them, they exist and there's nothing wrong with me. Um, Uh, and that's, that was, that began the process of healing where it was like, I started seeing other gay people being accepted and being loved. And I was like, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. But again, I still never saw other gays from, uh, Arab culture from the middle East. And, um, so that complicated it. It was like, okay, it's okay to be gay, but then how do I bridge the gap between being gay, but then also being Arab and not losing either parts of those.
0: How did you go from you know guy at Western mm-hmm. doing his thing to you know model with you know hundreds of thousands of followers? what happened in between those two things was fashion always something you were doing did you you know do something that went viral like what what what's the, what happened in between those two things
1: there was I think when I think about what the, it almost feels like it, um, it happened overnight where I switched from being scared and, um, isolated and alone to realizing that I needed to be able to look at myself in the mirror and not hate myself.
0: Was it just a moment? Like, do you think you just sort of went, forget it? Like, I am not going to live like this anymore.
1: Um, I would say it was, uh, it it, it was gradual. It was a lot of, um, like I remember, uh, I remember for like six months straight, like, uh, listening to Lady Gaga's born this way album every single night before bed and bawling my eyes out, like just like crying. Um, and I didn't have anyone to talk to. Like I never, it took me maybe a year and a half of a lot of self-hatred and a lot of fear before I was able to tell my first friend that I was gay. So it, it definitely wasn't overnight. There was a lot of work that had to go into it. And to be honest, I think because it was very traumatic and scary, I don't really remember a lot of the details. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just remember not having any friends, um, just being scared and feeling like everything that I wanted to do had to be a secret and that that really sucked. And I think when I went to university and I started seeing uh, people like... I was obviously I've always been very gay. It was almost like people just knew that I was gay without me having to come out
0: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. and seeing that they accepted me made me, made me heal. And it made me be, I think the Mina that I was always meant to be, who was, you know, loving and who wanted to, you know, I've always loved performing and I've always loved being looked at and all these things. And I think once I saw people that people didn't, Think of my my me being gay as a negative thing, the way that I've been that I've been taught that it that it was. That's when I started to be myself.
0: Well, and I think that speaks so powerfully to the importance of diversity, mm-hmm. and I want to get into that a little bit more. But before we get there, when did you start modeling?
1: I um so my journey with modeling is that again, uh, all comes down to representation and visibility. Um, I always wanted to get into modeling. Um, but when I wanted to get into modeling again, every single thing that I saw was, um, you know, all the men that are in fashion billboards and everything, they're skinny, they're white, they're very muscular. And so I felt like when I was, uh, an 18, 19 year old kid who wanted to get into modeling, I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. There's no way that I can, that I can get into modeling. I have to, my body has to look like that as a as a prerequisite. And the the sad thing about it is like you, you know, I would look on I would research um, you know, modeling agencies and stuff and you see the kinds of, you know, they have pictures of like, you know, what your what your the pictures that you're supposed to submit are supposed to look like.
0: The types are very yeah, clear. Yeah.
1: So it's very clear what they want. And therefore, I felt like I needed my body to look like that as a prerequisite before I got into modeling. And that took me down a, a really, really toxic path where I developed and eating disorder, and a lot of body image issues that I'm very open about now. But um, I think the tipping point was, it was earlier this year, um, I would say like end of last uh, last year, I shared uh, my very first post on Instagram where I opened up about my body image issues for the first time, and I shared with my audience like this is really scary because I don't see men posting pictures with their stretch marks, with their love handles, um, with their body unedited. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really scary for me, but I feel like this is the kinds of, these are the kinds of images that I needed to see to maybe so that maybe I didn't develop an eating disorder. Um,
0: what was the response like when you, it was insane.
1: It was insane. Uh, I mean, Teen Vogue wrote about it. Paper magazine wrote about it. Um, uh, the independent insider, all vanity fair wrote about it. It was a moment where a lot of people for the first time, um, a lot of, especially queer men were like, this is exactly what happened to me. This is exactly, this is the story is exactly like mine. And, um, that made me realize that I have this powerful platform. So what do I do with it? And I looked at fashion and I was like, I, you know, I still don't have a six pack, but like why it's, it's 2018 that's not the norm.
0: Yeah. Most of the world doesn't have a six pack. Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, there are men with different body types. How is it 2018? Um, and, and this is still the norm. So, um, I look at like being queer and Middle Eastern, uh, queer and Arab. I look at my body image issues and all the, the, you know, the constant thing between all parts of my identity is that I never, I've never seen myself visible. And as a result, I developed a lot of self-hatred and a lot of self-doubt. So now I want to change that because I know that, um, visibility and representation can save people's lives.
0: Well, and Sephora is a powerful brand yeah. and platform in order to do that with. Did the phone just ring one day?
1: <laughs> so,
0: uh, Hi, Sephora calling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, part of my journey on Instagram was I tried to do the, um, <coughs> the makeup thing. I, um, you know, and all, of, I, you know, I wore a lot of hats on my way to get to to where I am today. So, I, you know, I made YouTube videos. I made, you know, I recreated celebrity photos, which is how I went viral and, you know, got my platform. There's a lot of hats that I wanted to wear. The common goal behind all of it was that I wanted to create that representation that I needed, however way it was, you know, whether it's through videos or through uh, through makeup, saying that like, hey, it is okay to be a man and, and wear makeup. Um, and, uh, Sephora saw all those, you know, the pictures and the shoots that I did, uh, last summer and they, you know, they emailed me and they're like, we would love for you to be part of this campaign. And
0: what did that mean to you? Like, did you just about drop your <laughs> cell phone reading it? Like,
1: you know, what's crazy about it is I think, um, the reason that it still hasn't sunk in uh, even now that it's been months when I started doing, uh, when I started doing makeup, I, I never felt beautiful doing it. I always felt really, um, you know, I felt ugly when I, when I did makeup because I still never saw anyone like me doing it. And so even this, even the makeup space or the, or, or, you know, men who wear makeup, there still has not been representation for men from the middle East. You see a lot of other ethnic communities, but still no one from the middle East. So I felt like, you know, I still had my doubts Um, and so when Sephora reached out, I was very happy, but I was also scared because I knew that this was going to be a moment where this is going to be the first time you're going to see this, um, this kind of identity.
0: Well, and it's, it's interesting you say that because Sephora shot a beautiful video with you that, that people can see on YouTube. And when I watched it, um, I couldn't help but, but be struck by the fact that like, I'd never seen the the elements of the Middle East that that I associate with femininity. You know, the beautiful scarves and the colors and the makeup. And I'd never seen that with a Middle Eastern man, gay or straight. And to your mm. point, it's not like I would have seen a, a gay Middle Eastern man, even if I'd been watching for it. So I like it is this this really exciting moment of your culture being expressed in through a person who would not have expressed it that way. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Of like, course. and is that exciting to you? Like,
1: um, honestly, it's, it's incredible. I've, 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 you know, I've done a lot of my research looking into this and, um, the Middle Eastern community is one of the most underrepresented communities, um, in, in the media, like in everything. But then when you add the level, uh, you know, the added identity of being queer and Middle Middle there is no representation for for us. There is no other prominent um, queer Arab models or actors um, or people who are doing community work or anything like that. Just there's there's no visibility for us. Yeah.
0: So there are generations of Mina's that have <laughs> never seen themselves. Yeah. Somewhere.
1: Yes, and I and I know for a fact that this Sephora campaign and through a lot of the a lot of the comments that I've received is that this is the first time. That someone with this ethnic identity and and this queer identity has been represented um, in a makeup brand. Um, so it was a really monumental moment for visibility. Um, and it is something that I'm very grateful for, but I also feel this tremendous responsibility to build up on that. Um, the fact that, you know, I'm 24 years old and I'm able to make this world kinder and safer for the younger Minas out there um, all over the Middle East. I think that is so beautiful. Um, but again, I also have a lot of self-doubt because I, I don't have anyone to look up to. And that's really scary. It, um, being
0: a trailblazer can be a very lonely place.
1: And I, I never thought of, I mean, the thing is that loneliness has been so normalized because it's, I've been lonely since I was 15. Um, never never having anyone to look up to since I was 15. So. We're talking 10 years of this where it is scary. I'm just grateful now that brands are starting to wake up to the fact that like, oh, my God, representation matters because there's a lot of Middle Eastern people in Canada. And unfortunately, they bring with them um, the uh, the homophobia that's ingrained in in our culture. So it's not like just because we're in Canada that this is this is gone. Uh, you know, um, so we're still fighting for for visibility and for our uh, for us to have our identities be accepted and be valid, even here in Canada.
0: I think there there can be this assumption um, that if a culture does not accept you, that you want to cut yourself off from yeah. that culture, and that's not what I hear you saying. Like I hear you saying, I love my culture. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to celebrate and express and be visible within my culture and have my culture visible to the rest of, to the rest of the world.
1: I I mean, Egyptian culture, I think is one of the most vibrant and beautiful cultures. Um, and you know, every single person in the world knows about ancient Egyptian culture. And that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration from, uh, from the, the Pharaohs and, and the, uh, you know, men in ancient Egyptian culture wore makeup. And that's something that we, you know, or a lot of, uh, homophobic people like to erase, um, they'll just glaze yeah, they'll over just that. glaze over that. But like, no, the, these powerful pharaohs wore makeup. The thing that strikes me about, um, and this is, this is why I do what I do is that it is still illegal to be gay in uh, a lot of parts of, of the middle East. And, um, there's ongoing systemic erasure and violence every single day towards queer people in the Middle East. So. When I think about me being here in Canada, I think it's very it's very easy to give into hatred and to let and to um, let go of my culture so that I can that I can exist. However, I look at um, what I do now, whether it's through fa- fashion or through makeup, it's a protest. It's a protest against that erasure. I don't want anyone to ever feel like they have to let go of pieces of their identity. Um, in order to be able to be who they are.
0: You're making it a political act yes. to be your true self.
1: And that's why what I do is on purpose so over the top. Like when you think about my, you know, for lack of a better word, my claim to fame was through these celebrity recreations that nobody else was doing online. And they were so... Um, they were very clever. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but they were so... they were They were the epitome of feminine, like, when I got made fun of so much for being gay, and you could not get any gayer than that, and I did that because I wanted you to know because my name I mean any single per, any person in the Middle East knows that name Nina is is Egyptian. It is synonymous with our culture like and I said is it it's
0: synonymous a, with mass, like it's a man's name like it's, you a, would...
1: it's a man's name, uh, exclusively a man's name. I know that in other parts of uh, you know in Southeast Asia, for example, it is uh, a woman's name, but any Arab person. Knows that Mina is a, a man's name. So you know that you're gonna see this and you're gonna laugh and 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 I know that you know these memes went viral all over the world, but then you're gonna be like, oh, who is this? His name is Mina? Oh. And that's gonna make you that's gonna make you think, whoa, this is a gay Arab person. But what are what are they doing? It's gonna make you think twice. And so a part of my journey. Um, and my growth has been, how do I take that element of surprise, that element of you're going to stop and you're going to stare, but bring that into a, a different way. Um, and now I'm trying to take away that persona and do it through fashion. Every, you know, when I, uh, I always think of this lady Gaga song that again, I listened to over and over again when I was crying. Um, it's called fashion <laughs> and it starts with lady Gaga goes, step into the room. Like it's a catwalk. Um, and that's something that stuck with me, where I want you to look, I want you to see, whoa, maybe like our culture puts gay people in prison, but look at this guy there. Like, yes, they. it's a, it's a taboo in our culture, but look at Mina. And yeah. if
0: we stopped there, that would be incredible. But you layer body positivity yeah. on <laughs> top of all of that <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, so... Talk a little bit about like that journey of being because it's one thing, like all of that would just be like amazing. And we could end there and be like, <laughs> that is important and fantastic. But then you layer yet another element that's very vulnerable to you mm-hmm. on top of it because your photos are are glorious, like the bathing suit ones you just did Thank were you. super <laughs> hot. Um, but you know, to your point, you're not a traditional six-packed white model
1: um again it all comes down to 15 year old nina who was so isolated and um body image issues are such a big part of of i think a lot of men experience body image issues but that again that tipping point to me was like how like how is it you know almost 2020 and this is the norm Um, I never saw myself represented. I never, whether, yeah, again, whether it's through my body, whether it's through my identity, I never saw myself represented and I have felt what it feels like to not see yourself. I have felt ugly. I have felt, I have wanted to change my body. I have, I mean, a story that I'll always, uh, remember was, um, as little as I was 11 years old, I remember watching this episode of the Tyra Banks show and she did this one episode where she was showing people uh, her audience telling them about a, a, the the donut, where like if you if you uh, squeeze your stomach fat from either side, it makes a circle around your belly button, and that's a donut. Um, I will find oh, this.
0: Our networks yeah. using their this power was, for good. Not. I mean,
1: <laughs> how crazy is that? And I remember being as young as eleven years old talking to my little sister about how I wanted to save up money to get rid of my donut. Um. As little as eleven years old, and that's something that always stuck with me was that we uh, we still live in a society that makes you feel like you need to be thin and you need to change your body. And when I um, when I developed my eating disorder, I never loved myself. And I that period between eighteen and twenty years old, um, I wish I could take those years back because I hated my body. Um, I was tiny. I was like 160 pounds. And even then I wasn't considered, um, you know, uh, able, I, my body still didn't look like, I still didn't have a six pack. And I was like, wow. So even through all of this, five hours at the gym, starving myself, I still don't qualify to be a model. How is this, crazy. how is this, how is it okay? And I think that what's really incredible right now is that slowly the industry is seeing that Um or at least maybe they're not seeing it, but this is these are the doors that I'm going to uh uh to break. Um or
0: I think I think we're seeing, you know, change is always incremental, sadly. But you know, when you see the the runway shows at New York Fashion Week and Toronto Fashion Week, we're seeing more models that break away from that mold of size double zero. Right. You know, we're seeing we're seeing more of the world we live in represented on the runways and in the campaigns of of fashion brands. Not all fashion brands, yeah. yeah. Not all beauty brands. Yeah. But I think when someone starts that movement and they experience the res- the positive response, then other brands take notice. You know.
1: Yes, and I think I mean the thing that I've noticed is that men's fashion still today is just really boring. Um, I bet that most people cannot name. Uh, five or 10, uh, prominent, uh, male models who are doing something that is, that is different or that you relate to other than the fact that they're pretty or that they have a six pack. I want to change that. I want to, and I think this is something that I've been slowly doing with my career is that I want, you know, I want to be the Ashley Graham of, of men's fashion. I have a story. I have a personality. I'm not just a face or, or a body. I bring something that is different and i think that that's what men's fashion needs. Um, and i'm also as a queer man and i think this is something that i also see that's really wrong with fashion is that men's fashion is so uh straight. a lot of a lot of um queer men that i know are gender fluid just like me. like on a night out with my with my gay guy friends we'll you know we'll call it like we'll get together and we'll kiki we'll do makeup, we'll wear women's clothing. our clothes are bright and colorful and and uh, and this is what it's like to be a queer man. But men's fashion ignores queerness because it sees it as feminine. But no, men can be androgynous. And even yesterday, like, you know, I did my first runway show um, and that was such a beautiful experience, but I was classified as a gender non-conforming uh, model, which sure, but then I looked at all the other men's fashion uh, runways And I didn't see myself as a, as a gay man representative, even though there were gay men walking the runways, it was still like a very, uh, watered down marketable version of what it means to be a man. Um, and I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's okay. Um, so it's like, you know, you add the level of queerness where we need that representation, but then we also need body diversity. Um, and these are two things that I, you know, I've faced a lot of pushback, but I believe in them so much. I believe that. That this visibility is going to save lives. Um, I believe that my story um, and creating that representation of a curvy man, showing you know, I whenever I work with photographers, I make a very clear point: do not edit my face, don't edit my skin, don't edit my stretch marks, do not edit anything, because I remember growing up when I had my eating disorder, I would when I was starving myself, I would look at my phone background, which I and I had like a picture of a of a model. Um, you know, from a Calvin Klein ad as the background of my photo. And, you know, completely, you know, he has the V, the six pack, maybe it was eight, super chiseled. And I would look at that photo and be like, I know you're in pain right now, but you need to keep starving yourself because you want to look like that. And that is what I don't want any other young person to to ever experience. Um, So just like, you know, fashion brands may not see the value in that, but I have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. So if you're not going to give me the platform, um, it's like with my most recent makeup or sorry, with my most recent, uh, swimwear, you know, campaign, I was like, it's 2019. Every single campaign that I saw this year was with a skinny guy with a six pack. I'm just going to make my own. And I had a friend shoot that, um, and I had this idea about being, um, you know, up in the sky. Um, because we always put men who are skinnier and muscular on a pedestal. And we always, we think of them as otherworldly. And I wanted to create that otherworldly kind of, you know, this, uh, this beautiful Greek kind of Greek God, you know, feeling, but with a normal body, um, with stretch marks to show you that that is also beautiful. So until a brand wakes up and is like, Hey, we see the value in this. I'm going to create, keep creating that representation myself.
0: Mina Gerges, you're going to change the world. <laughs> if people want to find you on Instagram and follow along in their journey, where can they find you?
1: Uh, at it's Mina Gerges um, on all forms of social media.
0: And we'll put that on the fashion talks website as well, because as well, it's M I N A G E R G. Yes. Right. Yes. You can follow me at This is Donna B. That's just the letter B. And Fashion Talks Pod. Big thank you to Kappa, our producing partner. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop. Thank you so much for being here, Mina. Thank
1: you so much, Donna. It's such a pleasure.